a Radio 191 FM podcast. Right now I'm joined by Kane Furley, um, Assistant Curator of Natural Sciences at the Museum over the road at Tucker Museum. Morena to you, Kane. Yeah, Morena. How are we today, sir? Yeah, really good. Mm -hmm. Really good. You recently went on a little boat journey. Yes, yes, yes. To the middle of nowhere. Yeah, a small little boat into the middle of the Pacific on quite a large journey. Yes, yes, a small boat on a large journey. Scary enough. Um, Yeah, one of the most remote points on Earth, I guess, the Pitcairn Islands, made famous by the mutiny of the bounty, uh, where Fletcher Christian and his mutineers seized control of the um, naval ship, the bounty, in 1789. Uh, from Captain Blythe, thing. You know, these are um, stories being told for years. I guess there's the book, there's movies. Um, some of those mutineers, uh, with some Tahitian wives and whatnot, um, settled on Pitcairn, um, which was uninhabited at the time, but was once settled um, by Polynesian people. Uh, but that population died out for whatever reason. That oh, is. maybe not died out. Oh, really? Maybe just moved away. Oh, yeah, true, yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Um, right, and you went there for two reasons. One was an eclipse, and the other one was to um, to check out the local flora and fauna. Um, I guess about the flora and fauna, you know, New Zealand is is been famous for its flora and fauna because we're a very remote place where we didn't have any um, large predators, mammal type predators so you know obviously we've got the kiwi, uh, moa, um, takahe, uh, all these amazing birds, we've got the bat um, amazing creatures that are endemic only to here uh, and evolved in amazing ways that you don't get in so many other countries other than south of the Wallace line I guess. Mm. Um, is the same for the Pitkins? Yeah, yeah, similar. Less endemic species than New Zealand, but it's also quite a, a small place, so you'd mm-hmm. expect that. So they have a number of uh, endemic snails and flowers and plants, and they have a, a couple of endemic birds as well, which are only found there. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's a there's a high degree of island endemism in the Pitcairn Islands, some only specific to the Henderson Island and some just to Pitcairn itself. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it seems like the Henderson's got quite a few more than Pitcairn, perhaps, but maybe that's because of the human settlement. Yeah, yeah. So Henderson was settled less intensely than Pitcairn in the past by the Polynesians. So, you know, people cut down trees wherever they go. So, yeah, they do. You know, a little less damage there compared to uh, Pitcairn. But, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. We've seen what happened to poor Rapa Nui. Yeah, 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 which is a similar sort of story as well, which also has, you know, some, some endemic species that live there as well. So. Mm, mm. Mm. Okay, so, I mean, what kind of things do we see there that we don't see anywhere else? You, when you mentioned snails and stuff like that, I guess it's, you know, creatures that um, are found everywhere else but have just evolved in a few different ways because they don't have any flightless birds, do they? They've, all their birds are still... Still got their wings. Yeah, all the birds are still still flying around. Um, are they all mostly seabirds? Or? Yeah, mostly seabirds. Mostly seabirds live up on the cliffs and stuff. So, and also they uh, nest on the beaches and stuff as well. So they're pretty prone to predation from mammals. So, one of the real highlights of the trip was uh, seeing some Murphy's petrels, which are found only in that sort of area. So that's oh. that's pretty cool. So, nice. Yeah, yeah. Right, how, how was the trip getting there? Where, where was the leaving point? Did you leave from Dunedin? Did the, does the supply ship come here or do you have to go up to Auckland? Or Yeah, so Pitcairn has a freight frigate which is uh, a New Zealand ship that's operated by a Russian crew that's chartered by the um, the British uh, Embassy yeah. um, and, the, and the British High Commission. So um, that usually comes in and out of Tauranga in 
uh, from Pitcairn Island when they're doing big freight trips. But for passenger services, you have to catch it from Mangareva, which is uh, about a four and a half hour flight on a on a small little plane from Tahiti. So oh, we had true. to leave from Dunedin to Auckland, and then Auckland to Tahiti, yeah. and then yeah, Tahiti to Mangareva, catch an hour ferry to the boat, and then once we we're on the boat, <laughs> it was two and a half days to get to Pitcairn Island. <laughs> so just getting to the boat is a rigmarole yes yes super big rigmarole and also yeah air tahiti aren't super fond of you taking heaps of equipment and uh luggage on their flights so there was a bit of a bit of a (laughs) an ordeal (laughs) we could say to get extra equipment uh with us to the boat yeah because you'll be taking um, plenty of cameras and and the like i guess yeah so we had a whole a whole arsenal of cameras and lenses and telescopes and tripods and tracking mounts (laughs) and computers and yeah yeah the full the full suite of kind of equipment photograph both the eclipse and as well as kind of wildlife yeah yeah, yeah. um okay so, so does the boat kind of do a ring around the pacific it doesn't just go to obviously just doesn't go to the pitkin like you said it goes to tahiti or does it just go from here to tahiti to the pitkins just for a stopover or? yeah so depending on what sort of freight it's picking up and what sort of stuff they're taking to to tahiti um or or to uh pitkin yeah they'll, they'll either go to tahiti and kind of into the port there at Papiti or they'll just go to Mangareva to pick people up and other sort of fresh supplies Yeah. or when it's a big supply run they'll come all the way to New Zealand where they oh, have yeah. a freight broker that holds a whole bunch of material like vehicles and all sorts of stuff for them so you know it's just kind of dependent on what, what they pick need. needs as yeah. to where they go so every few months they come back to New Zealand interesting Russian crew yeah yeah it was interesting um yeah that was super friendly good good bunch of guys um an interesting uh cook that was probably a little less chefy and more cookie yeah um made some of those yeah first year flatting meals look um a lot more appealing than what i remember them when we were on board um but all the crew was super lovely so they were just um yeah they're essentially hired to to sail the ship and yeah they did that super well super, super friendly so I mean what, you're just going through the, the, the Pacific I mean is, is it an amazing trip I mean I guess you, all you see is ocean but it must be fun yeah yeah so it's it's pretty pretty cool to be in the in the centre of the Pacific yeah. and just kind of you become pretty aware very quickly how isolated a lot of those islands are except for essentially sea travel between mm. them because it's just there's just no islands in between them and there's large large tracts of sea between each island so you kind of become very aware of how far out places like Pitcairn are and how isolated that country is and how amazing uh, Polynesian explorers were yeah yeah given that they're not charting with gps yeah (laughs) and also sailing with the stars and the sun and a subtropical convergence zone where there's a lot of cloud most of the time yeah 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 yeah. yeah. um yeah and plus in um outriggers and 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 what what other uh, boats they had back in the day uh amazing okay um so you you got there um um it's pretty cliffy Mm. how's the landing yeah, so on Pitcairn, the landing is very interesting. So <laughs> essentially there's nowhere at the moment where the ship can anchor offshore of Pitcairn, so they just kind of like drive around small circles most of the time and give some of the crew some some uh, boating experience. But when you get off, you have to climb down a sketchy little ladder on the side of the boat to get into one of the Pitcairn Islanders' long boats. So they have these oh. uh, big, um, big, long 
uh, aluminium long boats that have got you know like a pretty big sort of outboard motor on the back of them and yeah you climb down into that and then you have to come through a super narrow little pass which there's like a sort of beach break running and tuck in real quickly <laughs> behind a breakwater of which the waves are smashing into and so given that it's usually swelly there yeah um wow. yeah it's a pretty exciting entrance and you were just saying they take vehicles there yeah they do quad bikes and like yeah 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 they have vehicles so they have a few vans now and pick oh for, vans wow for, for touring people around really yeah. it's tiny yeah yeah they've got a few little roads but mostly quad bikes to get around yeah, except yeah. when it's really wet because yeah. it's too clay for them to <laughs> <laughs> so they walk everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, amazing. And what's the island like itself? I mean, you see there's a few roads. It's quite clayey. Um, what's the settlement like? Yeah, so there's there's probably about 40 people that live there at the moment. There's a number of each each kind of family has its own, own house that they build. And they kind of, you know, they don't necessarily own the land, but they own the house that they live on. And it's kind of all the land's given to them by the Pitcairn Council when they want to essentially establish a house. So... Mm-hmm. To live there, it's pretty pretty isolating. There's not a lot there. Their main sort of form of trade is kind of almost a moneyless sort of trade with cruise ships if they trade their produce. So the island, to me, was actually unexpectedly productive in terms of what foods they could grow there. Yeah, yeah. So they could grow everything from, you know, like stuff that we grow in New Zealand, like potatoes and all sorts of stuff that don't usually grow in the Pacific and kumara, uh, to all of the tropical species like uh, mandarins and passion fruit and breadfruit and pineapples and, you know, the whole the whole shebang. So they, they're quite far south, so it's a really interesting place. So they're pretty well suited to trade food with the cruise ships and stuff. So... Um, the majority of their time is spent kind of here yeah, tending their, their little gardens and making sure that they're kind of growing heaps of produce and to give to cruise ships is that their main income yeah yeah so they they <laughs> sell food to the cruise ships as they come past um which is both fish and uh fresh produce so the cruise ship will put in an order for kind of what they want depending on what's in season and then they'll yeah just farm out the food to to them sell them and if they want anything from the cruise ships which the cruise ships have they can then kind of put in an order and they kind of haggle down the price so <laughs> You know, so yeah, there's all sorts of interesting uh, South American wines on offer in the, in the homestay that were there, and uh, some Mexican beers, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was they they were pretty well off, and they're pretty pretty happy the people that were living there. Yeah, 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 so yeah. Interesting. So, how do they get rest of their income so they can afford things on the boat? Well, it comes in. Is it? Yeah, so a lot of their other incomes from smaller little businesses, sort of that they own. So uh, a lot of the people involved in. Um, Apri and uh, oh, yeah, honey, honey, honey yeah. work, and so Pitcairn because they've got very few diseases there at the moment with their honey. They're one of the few countries that can actually export their honey to most of the world. So, and it's super highly sought after, which I was a bit disappointed because there was none, no honey there when we got there. <laughs> They're trying to encourage us to buy it online when we got back. Um, and they're starting some other sort of little businesses, so things are kind of looking up there. But they, when when they trade their food with the um, with the ships, the money's kind of spread out around the communities as well. So it's a real it's a real community effort and a real community feel between all of the islanders there. They all work together to kind of, you know, survive and make the most for them. Which, to be honest, is kind of how the Pitcairn Islanders have lived ever since they uh, yeah. jumped off the bounty. They've all had to work together to survive. So it's cool that that tradition continues. And, you know, most of them, you know, if they're still all descendants from those first mutineers, are there, have there been other people that have just decided they want to go live there? Yeah, yeah, there are. So <laughs> when we got there, actually, there was a... Um, uh, so they're mostly 
relations of, of the bounty and direct descendants, but they are trying to encourage other people to come there. So when we were there, there was a Swiss couple yeah. and their two boys that had just arrived and um, they do a six-month trial there to see if they kind of fit in and then if they do, then they're allowed to kind of, you know, like wow. build a house on a plot of land that they want there and move in. So they were just kind of testing out the waters and seeing if they're, you know, able to operate the, the long boats because you know the people on Pitcairn Island are starting to get get up there in the average age oh, and population yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, of course. you know they need they need strong strong young men essentially to live there to operate the long boats to get them in and out because that's their main sort of connection with the world and yeah you could never build uh, aerodrome there no no they have talked about building an airport on the island really? and it would be very hard to service just due to um, the fuel kind of capacity yeah. there. So they have a spot and they've looked into it. Um, what about plants? We haven't talked about plants. Um, any amazing things that only grow there? Um, yeah, there were a couple of small little endemic sort of uh, flowers that were there, but they weren't flowering when we were yeah. there. So <laughs> they're kind of a little bit un- unmemorable as, as these things go on this trip. So yeah, the biological observations on this due to the weather were kind of, um, we were a wee bit thwarted, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's just the way it goes, right? You know, yeah, you can plan all you want for an expedition, but the only thing you can't stop when you book a trip like this is any weather that decides it's going to roll on through. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, it was it was what it was. It was a good trip, regardless. And I guess the uh, British Met Service doesn't have really much of an office in terms of forecasting on the Pitcairns, do they? Oh well, the forecasting's okay there um, because it's so oceanic you can kind of have a look at what sort of clouds are rolling over and what sort of is coming through in the satellite imagery um but in terms of long-term forecasts yeah it's a little bit harder to do that yeah yep. and the museum and Ontario university have been the pitkins before and there's a little bit of a collection at the museum isn't there yeah there is so we have a quite a quite a lot of archaeological material so adzers and flakes and sort of a few stone tools from the early polynesian people uh, we also have a, like a tiki moai kind of figure, which mm. is a bit of mystery around kind of um, around what that is and kind of where it was made and whether it was made on Pitcairn or not. That was toppled down from above the little boat harbour there um, oh. and sold to the museum. Um, and we also have the pintle and gudgeon from the, the bounty and a few nails and all sorts of stuff, which was also sold to us. So... Um, yeah, but uh, it was, it was, it's got an interesting story that, um, yeah, yeah, the mayor at the time in about the 1930s, I think it was, his son was going through uni and, uh, his son, as all uni students do, started running out of money and, uh, uh, dad needed to raise a few more funds. So he sent a letter around to all of the New Zealand museums asking if, if they wanted a, a bit of the bounty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wow. And, yeah, the Otago Museum put their hand up and was like, yep, we'll take that. Of course. I mean, it's an amazing story. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's an amazing story. And the museum has such a strong uh, Pacific collection yes. that kind of I can see why having a piece of the bounty was, was desirable. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they jumped on that. And then after that, they're like, oh, we've also got this Moai kind of figure as well. Do you guys want that? And so the museum also put their hand up and was like, yeah, well, yeah, yep, yeah. Yeah. But then after that, to be honest, um, the Admiralty kind of caught wind that they were um, selling bits yeah. of the bounty um, <laughs> and wanted to put a bit of a stop to that. And well, so, it's still Her Majesty's ship, isn't it? Yeah, well, it was still Her Majesty's ship, but there's a bit of yeah uh, controversy around whether it is theirs or whether you're allowed to salvage it. Um, 
Wow. As he was doing, the British you know. don't really have a leg to stand not, on. Not, do they? not really, but they got they got shirty anyway, and um, they ended up coming to an agreement where they took a bunch of the bounty material, like the rudder and stuff, and they put it in the Fiji Museum and they traded with the Pitcairn Islanders a uh, a radio, which was super useful. So then they yeah, had contact with the outside world and ships that were coming, so they could have advance warning and stuff. So you know, yeah, it was a piece of currency for them, and they've always yeah. been opportunistic to to kind of do the best for their survival. So Fair enough. We're just doing that. Fair enough. But mm. we, we may see a reversal of of this in the future. Yeah, well, repatriation when we were on the island of the material that we had did come up, um, as it always does whenever we go anywhere, which is which is fine, because, you know, when New Zealand wants its stuff back, it also has to be willing to um, open up into those conversations with other communities as well. Yeah. Um, and there's just a process to follow around that, you know, first you establish ownership and you both kind of work towards the greater good of kind of, you know, ownership of who, who owns it and then kind of a decision's made and, you know, things are either handed back or the ownership's handed back and the museum retains material to kind of look after it indefinitely. So we just went through them, what the process with that is, is and that we're open to the conversation and, you know, if they wanted stuff back on their island and they wanted their history back, then they'd also need to be able to look after their cultural history. Yeah. Have they got a museum? They have a small little museum. Um, it's pretty tiny and the environmental conditions for the stuff in there is not very good. Oh. So kind of all the copper nails are um, corroding quite heavily in the humidity and yep. the other things. So, you know, if they were to take their stuff back, we would need to know that they're able to look after it. Yeah. And once we explained that to them, they were kind of like, oh, yeah, cool, all right. So we're probably not in a position <laughs> to receive the stuff back at the moment, but we can work towards that. And they've got funding at the moment, actually, to build a new museum. So you oh, know, cool. things, are, th- things are looking pretty good for them, yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's yeah, great. Yeah. Oh, well, it sounds like an absolutely fascinating trip, even for the fact that, you know, you didn't exactly get to do what you wanted to do. <laughs> the weather didn't allow for, for a lot of things. Yeah. Um, which is a shame, but like you said, that's the way the cookie crumbles. Uh, but in itself, I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing, the, the island is an amazing story, um, be it uh, early Polynesian or um, the um, European colonisation, um, and I guess the ongoing struggle to survive. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And and also the willingness of the Pitcairn Islanders to continue there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, their, their way of life on the island, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Do you think you'll, you'll if you you think you get the chance to go back one day? Um, yeah, there's still, despite it being such a small place, and we were there for I think we had about well, uh, yeah almost three days um, worth of light kind of on the island. Um, I definitely didn't get to see everything that was there. So as far as a small little place goes, it's got a big old history. Yeah. There was a lot to see there yeah. associated with that. So there's definitely more to go and see there. That's cool. Yeah, so I'd love to they'd love the opportunity to get back there. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm. Hey, well thank you so much for coming in today, Kane. Mm. Been an absolute pleasure to meet you and to hear your story of your journey over to the Pickens and what goes on over there. That was a Radio One ninety one FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.